All right, welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our December 18th, 2008 edition of the show. It's uh, 5.31 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. really apologize for getting things going late today. We were having a little bit of uh, phone difficulties getting our uh, guest lined up, who is uh, all the way uh, from the U.K., and this is going to be a fascinating show, the time we do have left. And uh, before we get into it, I'll remind you that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on MySpace. That's myspace.com slash out the rabbit hole. Uh, the extra music we had there, that was from the album, uh, a fantastic album I love to play. That's uh, Brian Jones Presents the Pipes of Pan at Jajuka. All right, so uh, for today... Yes, yes. Um, All areas of human inquiry have their limitations until we examine that which is itself doing the inquiring, human consciousness. We often walk around pretending that we understand this mystery of existence or sidestepping it altogether because... Once we peel back the onion layers of supposition that allow us to operate in the everyday world, the the implications for our little egos can be overwhelming. So it is with much admiration that I look to those who jump in with both feet to explore this conundrum that actually and actually put forward new theories about it. One such person is Anthony Peake, who realized that any understanding of consciousness would ultimately lead to an understanding of death. The astonishing ideas he developed from that realization were put forward in his book, Is There Life After Death? The Extraordinary Science of What Happens When We Die. He shared some of those thoughts with us here about a year ago. Today he is back to talk with us about um, how he's explored this further in his new book, The Demon, A Guide to Your Extraordinary Secret Self. Anthony Peake, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much, Robert. Um, it's, it's great to have you. I do apologize for our phone uh, situation, and I'm glad we got things all squared away, and we've got you, and thanks so much for staying up late. I know it's uh, after 1 a.m. there in the U.K. It certainly is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, could we uh, maybe just uh, um, recap the main thesis of is there life after death as a jumping-off point as a way of looking at how that led to the uh, direction you went in the new book, the, the Damien, A Guide to Your Extraordinary Secret Self? Sure. Um, the first book deals with uh, the phenomenon known as near-death experience and focuses in on one of the uh, more curious elements of the near-death experience, what's called the panoramic life review, where individuals turn around and say that um, I, my whole life flashed before my eyes. Uh, I did a, a considerable amount of work on this and came to the conclusion that that was probably a clue to a, a deeper reality in terms of what was happening within the near-death experience. And I came to the amazing idea and the amazing conclusion that what that really means is that in a real-death experience rather than a near-death experience, your life doesn't flash in front of your eyes at all, but you live your life again in a literal minute-by-minute recreation of your life generated from the dormant memories held within the brain. Now, what is interesting about this is when you live your life again in the final split second of your previous life, that's 
life can be changed. I know it sounds peculiar and somewhat bizarre, but particle physics tells us that there are literally trillions of universes. And indeed, I've only been reading a paper on that today, which reinforces yet again the idea that there are literally trillions of you and I having this conversation across the multiverse. So therefore, there's a logic to conclude that there will be every single human being on this planet will, somewhere in the multiverse, live every possible potential outcome of their lives. So therefore, when you live your life again, effectively you can flick from universe to universe and indeed follow any life route that you wish to do so. Now, what I suggest is that when you are living in this matrix-like reality, there was part of you that will remember from the last time exactly what took place in your life. And that I call your daemon or your higher self. And that daemon guides you through your life uh, depending upon how open the channels of communication are between you and your own higher self or your daemon. And, and so th that is where you went in the new book to kind of look further into how this all works and how uh, you and I, there may be a, a, an aspect of, of Tony and an a aspect of Robert that is actually uh, maybe physically dead somewhere and is doing this reliving of, of the life over and over again. And each time that we're doing it, we have choices. We can go down different paths and we get clues on how to do that. There's some aspect that you call the daemon that has been through it all before, has seen it many times, and is looking at it from a bigger, uh, a more detached view, and is giving us clues on how we, we can fix things a la the movie Groundhog Day? Correct, exactly like the movie Groundhog Day. In fact, uh, I was uh, thinking at one stage many years ago to call the first book Groundhog Life, because <laughs> the principle is the same, isn't it? You know, effectively, uh, Connor's in that movie. And lives that same day over and over again and subtly changes every day by taking a different approach. And over many iterations, he starts to live the perfect day where he does things the right way and then he's allowed to move on. Now, he doesn't have what I would term the daemon guiding him, but effectively um, there, are, there is considerable evidence from neurology and from uh, psychiatry that this is the case. Indeed, interestingly enough, I met um, a consultant psychiatrist in Sri Lanka two weeks ago, and we're discussing the idea of working on a book together on the aspects of um, the psychiatric uh, implications of my theory and how we can apply that in clinical psychology and clinical psychiatry. So uh, let's talk a little bit more, though, about the, this, this uh, daemon uh, that uh, is the uh, main focus of your new book. What, what is the daemon? How did you come to use that term, and, and, and how does that work for us in your uh, thesis? Right, okay. The daemon is a term I've taken from um, Stoic and Gnostic belief systems um, around from about the 1st or 2nd century BC through to the 3rd or 4th century AD, where certain esoteric belief systems have always said that there are two personalities. Now, the daemon and the daedalon are the terms that they use, but there are many other terms that have been used historically uh, and right across, in fact, the globe. There is a, a long-standing belief that we have a higher self, the question is how one can prove that this higher self exists. 
I said, the Damon and the Aidan are the terms that I use from the original Roman, ter- Roman and Gnostic terms. Now, interestingly enough, uh, in my first book, I even suggest that probably the secret of the people like the Cathars um, and the Knights Templar, the co- concept of the Holy Grail, I argue that the concept of the Holy Grail is in fact this duality rather than the general thing that we believe it to be. Because I, I argue this is a secret that's been kept since very early times. And indeed, and surprisingly enough, a lot of occult groups really like it. For example, um, I was approached by an organization called the Servants of the Light, who were the world's largest occult organization, who really like my theories. There's a lady called Dolores Ashcroft Nowicki, who I know that guys out there will know of. Anybody in the, in the esoteric belief systems will know of her. Um, they love the theory, and I've recently been negotiating with the theosophists, who also say that this is a belief system they've had for many, many years. So it's something that is, is been part of our belief system for a long time. It can be found in Sufism, it can be found in uh, the Kabbalah, and many, many other esoteric forms of religion. But the irony is it can also be proved neurologically and, um, and psychologically as well. And so it's this duality, it's the, the daemon and the eidolon, and yeah. uh, so a, a kind of a higher self and a lower self. Now, w- why is the daemon not more prominent? Why does the eidolon the seem to hold more sway in most people? I think this is something to do with what I call the scale of transcendentalism, or transcendental. And what I say in this is that the, the, the way in the, the communication channels between the daemon and the Adelon for most people, are closed. So therefore, the daemon can only communicate in very, very subtle ways. In fact, a psychotherapist recently said to me that he believes that um, in sometimes it, it can actually uh, communicate through even pains and aches when it can't communicate any other way. But I then suggest that the doors of perception start to open when there are certain neurological factors in the brain. For example, I argue that the door, the communication channels start to open ever so slightly with people who have migraines. I then suggest that they become wider open with people that have temporal lobe epilepsy. I then argue that people who are bipolar, they open even more, and then they're wide open with people who have schizophrenia. Now, the interesting fact is there's, there's one consistent in all these, I wouldn't call them illnesses because they're more complex than that, but it's a neurotransmitter in the brain called glutamate. And I argue that it's glutamate that opens up the communication channels between the lower and higher self. I also suggest that the higher self is located in the non-dominant hemisphere of the brain. So therefore, the communication channels are across something called the corpus callosum, which is the, 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 uh, the, 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 the muscularity that holds the two sides of the brain together. So, yes, what you're talking about, it has these roots in all these mystical traditions, Gnosticism and Sufism and, and several of these other uh, schools. 
but you're also drawing evidence for what you're putting forward from modern science, from neuroscience, from uh, quantum physics, and all of these fields, so that it's almost like a unified field itself of of science and uh, mysticism. And it... Gnosticism is so uh, uh, prominent in what you're putting forward. It, it's uh, the the ideas of Gnosticism, and it, it's this kind of, uh, for many years, a kind of lost uh, philosophy, and it's been popularized in the last uh, half century uh, through uh, several people. And, and one person who really helped bring it to popular consciousness was uh, Philip K. Dick, and you have a whole chapter on Philip K. Dick in your book, and we, we talk about him uh, quite a bit on the show, and he's uh, lived here in Orange County, California. And um, so what, uh, could we talk a little bit about that and, and your research yeah. into Philip K. Dick and how that seemed to actually uh, give more credence to what you were putting forward and, and actually added to your understanding? Well, I'm simply amazed as to how Philip K. Dick is is such an influence on me and such an influence on the theory. Because if you start looking at Dick's writing, you, you find that there are certain themes that run through it. The concept of the precogs in many, many of his novels, he has the idea of these individuals who can see the future. But on top of that, if you go into the biographies of, of Philip K. Dick, like people like Lawrence Sutin and such like, you find that since from a very young age, he was convinced that he was more than one person. He was quite convinced that he had another element to his personality. And this manifested itself when he was extremely young, even when he was doing exams, for the entry exams for the University of California. He completely forgot some of the, uh, the formulae he needed for the, I think it was the expansion of water. And suddenly all the information just appeared in his head as if from somewhere else. As he got older, um, he started to realize that this other part of him was manifesting itself in assisting him write some of his novels. And indeed, some of his novels, one of his novels is called, I think, The Man Whose Teeth Are All the Same. And in that, Dick writes a story about uh, a man who forces himself on his wife because he wants to keep her. But she ends up getting pregnant and, against the plan, has an abortion. The irony was that many, many years later, I think it was his his second wife, Anne, did exactly the same circumstances to him. So clearly he started to think, are parts of his novels precognitive in one way or another? And, of course, then in March of 1974, he had his theophany. He claimed that something happened to him that made him see the world in a totally different light. And from then onwards, he was convinced that he was two individuals. And in fact, if you look at some of his later novels, such as Vallis and Newbeck, you can see quite clearly in those books that he's arguing not only that that he was a dual dual personality, but that in fact he'd lived this life before. I'm clearly, you're probably very au fait with his novels, but in Ubik, for instance, uh, the whole theme of Ubik is profoundly similar to my theory, that everybody's living in this state of half-life, which is in the final seconds of their lives. But you carry that on then to Vallis and to his exegesis book, and in this, he states quite categorically that Vallis, the, the, the vast acting life 
I don't remember the full acronym of what it means. Living Intelligence he, System. Correct. And he argues that Valis is, is part of us all and is in fact a duality. Um, he was also fascinated by the writings of Jung and the way in which Jung had an element of his personality called Philemon. And again, he writes about this continually. Now, I suspect, uh, and a lot of people would agree with me on this, because Dick himself claimed that he had been diagnosed as a schizophrenic, I would argue that he had great elements of temporal lobe epilepsy. I mean, he was hypographic. He became hyper-religious or hyper, he had this hyper-significance. And the most amazing thing was that uh, just as I was coming to the end of writing the chapter of the book, I came across uh, copies of letters he'd written to a lady, I think, called Cynthia Krentz in Alaska, who was his pen friend towards the end of his life. And these letters, in one of the letters, he says quite categorically, I'm starting to see the future. And he turns around and he says in the letter, that I had a dream a few days ago where I saw an elderly man lying face down in the middle of a living room between a settee and a, a coffee table. Now, the irony was that around about a week later, the people broke into his house to find that that's exactly the position he was found in. And, of course, he never recovered from the stroke and died without remaining, uh, regaining consciousness. So clearly he had some precognitive elements there which, of course, was a central theme of his books. You know, from Minority Report onwards, the precogs are something that are quite distinct. Now, I've been in contact with people, and I'm hoping he's listening, if he is tonight, one uh, I'd like to uh, let him know, is, is Bad Steiger, who was a friend of Philip K. Dick's. Mm -hmm. And I sent an email to Brad a few months ago, and I said, what would uh, Philip K. Dick think of my writing? And he said he'd be absolutely fascinated by it. So I think there is just so much. But the really weird thing, Robert, and this one will blow you away, and when I was told about this, I couldn't believe it, Philip K. Dick might have even predicted me. Because in um, his book, Counterclock World, he suggests he, one of the central characters is a man who comes up with a new theory about life after death. Philip mm. K. Dick calls this character Anarch Peak. Now, my name's Anthony Peake. <laughs> Pretty damn close, isn't I, it? I, I, you know, that's one of his books I have not read, and now I will have to read that, and that, that is really a mind-blower. I'm, I'm quite fascinated by that. Yeah. Uh, and yes, the, your book, The Damon, D-A-E-M-O-N, The Damon, A Guide to Your Extraordinary Secret Self, Anthony Peake. And yeah, I urge you all to check this book out. It is uh, quite fascinating. And so what, what Philip K. Dick called uh, Vallis, he had many other names for it, is basically th the same thing that you are calling The Damon. Yeah, and I think he called it Zebra. He had uh, several names for it. And Sophia, wasn't it, as well? Which so, was, again, fascinating because on my blog site and website, I've got a very active forum on my website, and we've been debating this for some time. One of the issues that has come up is whether the daemon manifests, manifests itself as the opposite sex to the, the Eidolon, just as they do in the Philip Pullman movie. Have you seen the, uh, the movie, the... Uh, the uh, Golden Compass. Uh, I have not seen that. Okay, because they have, again, they have daemons in that, spelt exactly the same way. Um, although they don't mention the Edelon, the principle is exactly the same. All the characters have this familiar that goes around with them. 
but as a manifestation of their own higher self. So yet again, you know, even within modern fiction, this theme is coming through. It's as if the zeitgeist is right at this time for this theory to come out. Yes, it, it surely is, and there's so much more uh, to add to this. Uh, we just we don't have a lot of time left here, and I do apologize sure. for getting things started late. Anthony, could we? Uh, would you agree to come back on the show, and we can do a, a full hour? Would. Uh, yeah, well, well, I certainly would. And what I would suggest to your readers is please check out my forum and my blog site. My website is, is www.anthonypeak.com. And if you go on there and then go onto the forum page and join in, the level of debate is phenomenal. And we have people from around the world on that. We have some amazing academics on there. We've got lots of specialists, and it's really picking up and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, yeah, uh, that is, uh, say the website again, please. It's www.anthonypeak, that's Anthony with an H, and Peak spelled P-E-A-K-E, dot com. Anthonypeak.com. In the book, The Damon, A Guide to Your Extraordinary Secret Self, Damon, D-A-E-M-O-N. And uh, do you have another site, uh, Cheat the Ferryman? Is that, uh, or is I that... do. There's my, there's my blog site, which if you just bear with me, I'll bring it up now, is... is um, HTTP for double forward slash cheating the ferryman dot blogspot dot com. I'll repeat that. It's HTTP cheating the ferryman dot blogspot dot com. Now, also, if anybody's interested, I've got a couple of um, lectures on YouTube. I did a, an interview for an, uh, a British rock station called Kerrang, and they were so, so delighted by the interview that they placed it on YouTube. So you just do a search on Anthony Peake, and that is, that is again, a, quite an interesting interview. You know, indeed, the guy that does the interview is the guy that had Edgar Mitchell say that aliens that the American government have been in contact for aliens for quite a long time. I don't know if you heard about that. Yes, I have heard about that, yes. Yeah, that was Majerison, Nick Majerison, who interviewed me that day on, on my subject as well. So. Oh, okay, so, yeah, so you are out there in several places, and Anthony Peake, again, is the name, P-E-A-K-E, and the book we are talking about today, The Damon, A Guide to Your Extraordinary Secret Self. And, yeah, I, I really would like to get you back because there was so much more I wanted to talk to you about today. And I'm sure so we much. could full, uh, fill, fill a whole uh, another hour. And I wanted to talk to you about our friend, uh, our mutual friend, uh, Myron Dial and his oh, experiences. Absolutely. Yes. And, and he has, uh, he's been on the show a couple of times. And so I, I want to say thank you so much for being with us today, Anthony. And uh, the best of luck with this. And I will email you. And we'll set something up hopefully within the next month okay okay that's great thanks robert okay thanks again for staying up and being with us and uh be talking to you soon okay okay yep that's no problem okay then bye bye now Okay, yes, Anthony Peake, and uh, this is just really a fascinating book, and I know some of you are maybe uh, very uh, rational-minded, not uh, too much into things that you consider mystical. 
I still urge you to have a look at this book because it, it is based in a lot of science and it also is just very fascinating, very provocative. And many of you that have had some weird experiences that you've maybe just not wanted to look at because they were just too weird, you will uh, get some comfort from this and you will get maybe get your mind blown a little bit too. But I, I always think that's a good thing uh, if it's done <laughs> properly. Okay, yes, uh, Anthony Peake, The Damon, A Guide to Your Extraordinary Secret Self. And uh, that was who we were talking to today and we'll get him back on the show and do a, a longer uh, interview so okay uh, Kyle's about ready to go here with his uh, music show things that are square that'll be up in about uh, four minutes and I will be back with you next week I know it's uh, Christmas Day but I am planning on being here and we'll do something uh, fun and interesting Christmas related in a sort of weird out the rabbit hole way so okay Robert Larson saying again the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff for management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback, you can email me at rglarson at kuci.org. You can also catch me on MySpace. That's myspace.com slash out the rabbit hole. I'll be with you next week. KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at kuci.org.